Welcome to this BJSM podcast. My name is Brooke Patterson. I'm a physiotherapist and a member of the BJSM editorial team. It is my pleasure today to introduce you to Linda Trong. Linda is a physical therapist and a PhD trainee at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. Her primary research interest is understanding how social support can improve recovery after a traumatic knee injury. Welcome, Linda. Thank you for having me, Brooke, and excited to be here. So, Linda, you've published a fascinating review and editorial in the BJSM recently about the need to embrace the non-physical factors in sports medicine treatment. So the biopsychosocial model is not new and it's been around for about 30 years now. So why do you think these non-physical factors are still neglected in sports medicine? I think the first barrier is that often as clinicians, particularly physical therapists, we're trained to treat the physical components of injuries. So as a physiotherapist, people come to see me to treat their physical problems. So I think it's a bit strange or foreign for us to be moving into this realm of addressing non-physical factors. But as we all know, um, many of our patients meet physical or objective criteria, and they still don't return to sport. And if we look at a lot of the research out there, we see individuals um, not returning to sport, even though they're reporting normal knee function. If we move into the qualitative world, we also see that a lot of individuals with ACL injuries report that it's the psychological side of recovery that is so much harder than the physical side. So all pointing us towards that we need to start treating or addressing this non-physical realm. I think the other second challenge is that we need to start to figure out what do we mean by non-physical factors? The biopsychosocial model, and in the name it says we are looking at biological, psychological, and social factors. But if we actually look at the model, there is a social and contextual domain. Um, And in our recent review, we actually define the biopsychosocial model to be these three distinct domains. So the psychological factors include the cognitive, affective, or behavioral responses after injury. So this can include, um, you know, fear of re-injury, your confidence to return to sport, um, or the motivation um, after an injury uh, to do your exercises. Social factors really encompasses the relationships or the social interactions, um, such as if you were provided social support after an injury, that can motivate you to want to do your exercises. And finally, contextual factors are the forces that exist outside you that can impact recovery. And this can include things like the sport culture, um, sport culture. And in order to be successful in managing our patients and our athletes, we really need to be aware of all these factors, uh, both physical and non-physical. And I wouldn't say that the non-physical factors are neglected in sport medicine because we're seeing a lot of great work done in this area, particularly around the psychological factors. We know that fear of re-injury or psychological readiness is important key factors we need to address after an ACL injury. But one of the challenges is that we have lumped all these non-physical factors into one category under this umbrella term coined psychological or psychosocial factors. And to an extent, this has made us ignore social and contextual factors. And so this is really what drove us to write this editorial on taking the psycho, social and contextual factors seriously, because if we do, we are then really truly implementing the biopsychosocial model. Thanks, Linda. Can you just expand a little bit on that, what you mean by sport culture? Yeah, so each sport has kind of a history or a culture that's embedded within it. And I think one of the things that we 
um, probably have heard of is that sport really encourages no pain, no gain. And sometimes when we encourage this environment, we'll have athletes that maybe not speak about their injury or seek medical care because they're just taught that um, they should just kind of play through pain. Um, and so that's kind of one of the things that uh, came about in the review. And um, another one is um, uh, masculinity and certain sports promote masculinity. And so again, if you acknowledge that you're in pain or you have an injury or you need time off, then you may look possibly be looked down upon. And so this might impact um, individuals' um, decision to access care. So how would clinicians go about assessing some of these social and contextual factors? Uh, I think the first thing is simply just being aware and acknowledging that there are other factors that are beyond psychological factors that can impact sport injury recovery. Probably the easiest way to detect some of the social and contextual factors is by having honest and open conversations with our, our patients and our athletes. Um, so asking them questions um, such as, do they feel pressure to return to sport? Do they feel they're supported by their coach or their teammates or um, their family during their recovery? Um, these questions may ask, actually bring up some of the barriers to recovery that may have nothing to do with the exercise programming or that the athlete is not motivated to recover. Sometimes it's not easy to have these conversations. And I think this is where using um, a patient reported outcome measure might give us a little bit of insight or help us to identify individuals who may be, for example, lacking social support. There are some patient reported outcomes that are emerging that are um, becoming more popular. Um, so one of them is the multidimensional scale of perceived social support. This is a tool that's actually used quite a bit in other fields. Um, and it just looks at assessing social support in various populations and it asks questions about, um, you know, do you feel supported in certain situations? If we're looking at the sport contacts, there are actually two emerging outcome measures um, that were built for uh, uh, sport injury populations specifically. One of them is the athletes receive social questionnaire or the perceived available social support. And so the scenarios that they give just are more related to sports. So for example, what extent do you feel you have someone you can turn to that helps to instill confidence to deal with pressure? Um, a caveat when using any patient reported outcomes is that, especially with these, is that we, we still need more research done with these outcome measures in sport injuries. Um, but I like using patient reported outcomes because I think it just gives us a starting point to have conversations. So I don't really care what they score, but why they score high or low on certain items. And it just allows you to start maybe uh, tapping into where are there areas that you can start working on um, and just a really a conversation starter. The other thing clinicians can do is asking about factors that motivates patients or athletes. Um, is it exercising with other people? Is it having a social network to tap into, especially when you are feeling low? Because we know that athletes and patients are going to go through these highs and lows with ACL recovery. Or is it um, having an injury buddy to turn to? A lot of the qualitative work has indicated that shared experience, particularly meeting other injured athletes, is actually a huge motivator for boosting confidence and adherence, adherence to exercising. And this is also really important if you're working with younger populations. Um, so I think if we can identify some of these factors early, um, we can help facilitate recovery by either maybe fostering some of these connections or just by simply acknowledging what may or may not work for um, or identifying new strategies uh, helps actually patients start to think, well, these are things I can tap into that is going to help my journey. 
Um, I've worked a lot with patients with ACL injuries. And so you quickly realize that in order to be successful in rehabilitating these injuries, you need to tap into all the resources and relationships around them. Thanks, Linda. I'm now gonna throw a few clinical scenarios at you. So first one, your patient is dropping off attendance and adherence. What non-physical factors might be at play? Mm -hmm. um, and I'd like to start off by just giving an example. Um, so often when we have, uh, say, um, athletes that are part of a team that have an ACL injury, we encourage them to rehabilitate on the sidelines during team practices because this allows them to stay connected or involved with the team. So we actually had an athlete who was about five to six months after an ACL reconstruction, all of a sudden just stopped coming to their um, training sessions and doing their exercises. And at first everyone thought it was because this athlete was just depressed, was really frustrated with the, the rehabilitation process and just didn't care anymore. Um, but after having some conversations and our strength coach actually uh, had a really awesome conversation with the athlete, uh, realized that having the athlete rehabilitate on the sideline was actually making them feel more socially isolated um, and, and reminding them how far away that end goal of return to sport was. So it was actually a negative thing for them. So once we remove them out of that environment and incorporate them to train elsewhere um, and only return them to the team when they really were ready to actually be involved in team practices, this athlete did super well, started doing all their exercises um, and actually a year later went to win at the national games. And so this was actually just a reminder that this had nothing to do with motivation. It was simply that we need to start addressing actually the social factor and that social isolation that was being created by having them rehab on the sidelines. And just by removing them from that environment, they were able to uh, get back on track and actually had a really awesome and successful recovery. So again, I think it sounds really simple, but because we don't have a lot of research um, in the social and contextual factors, I think one of the key things is having these meaningful conversations throughout recovery to start trying to identify them. Okay, so this time your patient is anxious about re-injury and the effect it may have on their ability to work and the associated costs. They're asking if they should return to social basketball and their friends are putting pressure on them to return. They've passed their physical criteria. How would you approach this situation? Um, so that's actually a very common, I think, clinical scenario that we often um, hear or experience in clinic. Um, and I, I always tell my patients that there are kind of criteria that categories of criteria that they need to pass. So clearly the first is the physical criteria. Second is the psychological criteria that includes a lot of confidence and fear of re-injury. And then I always have what I call maybe a personal criteria where we discuss what is really um, their priorities now. It, is this a sport that they love still that they want to return to? Um, is someone else forcing them to return or do they want to return back because of the social aspect? And here you can see there's concerns about um, re-injuring and potentially losing um, or impacting their ability to work. And sometimes when you have those conversations, it really puts into perspective what the patient really wants. Um, and so it's okay that they don't want to return to sport. It's not our job as clinicians to make this return to sport decision for them. I think our job is to prepare them as best as we can, minimize the risk of re-injury so that when they return, they're not gonna re-injure themselves, um, ensure that they meet the physical and mental capacity of whatever sport activity they want to um, return to. And after doing all that, if at the end of the day, they decide they don't wanna go back, I think our job is to support that decision. 
Um, and one of the things I would do in this scenario is spend some time figuring out, well, is there another sport activity that they can enjoy or do um, that maybe not makes them as anxious so that they can maintain being physical long-term because we know that physical inactivity is a huge risk factor for developing osteoarthritis in the future. Okay, so Linda, what I'm hearing a lot of is that we need to have a conversation with our patients about these factors. So clinicians are often time poor, they've got limited time with the patients. Uh, do you go about dedicating specific time for these conversations? Yeah, great question, Brooke. And um, to be honest, before I started my PhD, I probably didn't dedicate as much time as I do now. And in the past three years, spending time understanding how important the non-physical factors can be in impacting recovery, I've really changed my clinical practice. Um, first of all, um, not everyone can do this, but I've moved more towards seeing patients one-on-one. -on -one. Um, so trying to dedicate at least a full hour with them um, so that if we have if we do need to have these conversations, we have the time. Um, but now I've also changed just the way I ask questions. So for example, if we're working on return to sport um, functional um, movements, I actually will ask the patients, what do they want to work on? Or what do they feel not comfortable doing? And let them dictate the, um, the treatment option or the treatment, um, the treatment session. And there's been many times where I've had patients respond, can we just chat about um, why I feel so anxious about going back or I'm actually really scared. And um, it's interesting when you kind of just phrase it that way, instead of having this agenda that you have, like you, you want to do A, B, and C, it actually just opens up another door of, I think, indirectly treating these non-physical factors. Um, and so I've actually had quite, I would say, success by just kind of putting the ball in my, the patient's court. Linda, as physical therapists, do you think that we're stepping out of our domain at all, trying to treat some of these non-physical factors? I actually don't think we're stepping out of our domains, our domain, because if we are aiming for a patient or athlete-centered model, we are not treating an ACL injury, we're treating a person. And a person consists of all these things, their psychological, social, contextual factors that are around them. And so if we are moving towards this patient-centered model, I do think we have to start acknowledging it. Um, and by acknowledging it, I think we start to indirectly address or treat it for lack of a better word. When would you refer on to a sports psychologist? I think when they're starting to show clinical signs of maybe depression um, or anxiety, that's where a referral to a sports psychologist is um, important. Um, but oftentimes a lot of these um, non-physical factors that are emerging, I think maybe in our, our wheelhouse to just discuss or, or begin just having a conversation. Like, Thanks, Linda. Lastly, can you give clinicians a couple of key takeaways from today's podcast? So I think the first takeaway is that we need to start using a common language. If we really want to start moving the biopsychosocial model into clinical practice, we really need to start addressing the social contextual factors. And I think we need to start calling it what it is versus just lumping it under psychological or psychosocial factors. We don't often lump range of motion, strength, or flexibility into one category. So I don't think we necessarily should do this with non-physical factors as well. Uh, second thing I think we can take home is that we intuitively treat non-physical factors in clinic. But I think now with a lot of the work emerging, this just points us that we need to be more intentional about asking these things in clinic. So instead of waiting months 
having early conversations about individuals potentially feeling socially isolated or chatting about relationships with the culture, the power dynamics that um, exist may help us identify barriers to sport injury recovery much earlier. And lastly, I think that um, just like any objective finding, we need to evaluate throughout recovery as things can change. So we can't just assume that what we're doing early and how we're managing or addressing the non-physical factors early after injury is going to be the exact same thing throughout the whole 12 months. Um, so we just need to start recognizing that there are many different non-physical factors that can be out there. And as we acknowledge them throughout recovery, this will help us to be able to manage them better and not just wait until return to sport. Thanks very much, Linda, for sharing your insights and clinical examples. Now you're active on social media. Where can listeners engage with you? Thank you, Brooke, for having me on the podcast. And uh, you can reach me at my Twitter handle, LKT Physio. Thank you for listening to this BJSM podcast. You can find links to Linda's papers and resources she mentioned in the show notes. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your friends. And remember, you can find a new podcast on the BJSM app every Friday. We hope you have a physically active day.